You're listening to School Crack, Ireland's first and foremost Magic the Gathering podcast. I'm your host, David Wolf, and I'm joined here by... Kieran and Alan. All right, Kieran, how's it going? Pretty good. We're finally uh, freed from the shackles of Alan Harrison for a week. Oh, thank God. That absolute taskmaster. He's off uh, on his holly bops playing uh, GP Leon, is it? Is he in France? Yes. Yeah, Leon. Oh, yeah. GP Lions. Sorry. My bad. My bad. <laughs> Why are you not there? I don't, you know, I'll have a representative there. Okay. I see. Um, yeah. So Al is off at the GP. Best of luck to him. He's currently, let's check what's up. He's currently 301. Got that draw. Yeah. He picked up uh, picked up a draw in the mirror, unfortunately. Uh, he was, he was, a bit anguished afterwards saying oh i should have maybe should have conceded rather than uh taking the draw uh, i was like yeah i probably would although to be honest i don't know if that's still what you do anymore since they rejigged the um day one flight stuff for the for gps like are, are draws worth more now with the with the different structure i have absolutely no idea <laughs> yeah i have no idea either but uh yeah so fair play to al hopefully he keeps winning he's on uh salty foodstuffs he uh he he I think fairly fortunately got off the his idea of playing Grixis Fires of Invention before the tournament and just decided to play the best deck. So good job, Al. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He played in the MCQ yesterday and did not do well with Grixis Fires. So uh, yeah, best of luck to him. Hopefully he takes it down. And he did record something, so that will be appended to the end of this episode after the nice. music. Um, he recorded a little. Uh, a few, few minutes of him talking about his list and his testing process. So anybody who's interested in that, it'll be at the end of the episode. Love it. But uh, we are going to talk primarily about Pioneer. I mean, I don't really oh, yeah. need or want to talk about Standard at all. So Yeah, I feel the same. I haven't, I haven't been able to bring myself even to open arena to do even my quests playing standard to be honest i just can't i just can't be bothered um but like i i just did a few draft games there and stuff like that just i'm like oh maybe i'll try and make mythic and limited this season but i've kind of already had it with uh with the, with the limited format as well so i don't know if i'm going to do that I'm, I'm really just off arena at the moment and i'm and i'm back on magic online pretty much all of my magic playing time who would have ever imagined we'd be saying that I know, yeah. It's they. They really, uh, they really screwed the pooch on this one, didn't they? <laughs> well, I mean, you can think of it both ways. They screwed the pooch with standard and uh, really uh, came through in with uh, Pioneer. Yeah. What do you think of the conspiracy theories that Pioneer was was thrown at us ahead of time just to uh, to distract people from uh, from the terrible standard format? I didn't even know that that was a conspiracy theory, but it kind of makes sense to me. I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they're they're planning to have what is it? M is it the first MC or the first? Sorry, the first players tours of um, twenty twenty are going to be in Pioneer. But I think the first PTQs are not going to be in Pioneer until March. So it um, kind of does seem. I thought like it was January until March. I could be wrong. I thought it was March onwards. Oh, uh, that might make sense in terms of the average player like getting their collection and cards and stuff for pioneer yeah it does kind of, yeah that makes me wonder if they brought it forward because of that yeah it does kind of seem early but i mean everything seemed ready to go like every you know it was available on magic online super fast and 
all that stuff. I I'm, I don't know how much work that takes. Mm. So hard hard to hard to know hard to know. But uh, I'm sure, as we said like last week, that the the numbers for standard and arena are undoubtedly dropping. Yeah, like I said, I'm sure many people are just in the same seat or the same position I am, where you just you just can't queue into. Like I literally will like load up a game, see like see a turn two or turn three Oko, and I'll just concede. I'll just be like, I'm I'm so not in for this, and I'm still getting that in Pioneer a little bit, but not as much. Yeah, at least you see some weird stuff in Pioneer every now and then. Yeah, and in Pioneer, it's like the card isn't like that. You can play decks that can kind of ignore it a little better and stuff like that. I still think the card is probably too strong for Pioneer as well, but uh, that's that kind of remains to be seen, I guess. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we will talk about Pioneer quite a lot today. We had the very first Pioneer MCQ PTQ. What's it called? I think it's uh, PTQ. PTQ. Yeah. Okay. So we it was had... a player players tour qualifier, right? Yes. Yes. So we had the first one of those. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that. You played in it. I did not. Um, we have... I'll, I'll say I'm, I made a brief appearance in the tournament, yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, just to say hello to your fans and then... Bed. Yeah, exactly. Just uh, I felt like uh, Wizards just needed uh, needed a win, so I just threw them, threw them a few dollars for an entry fee, you know, and uh, it didn't stay for long. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we have some of the top eight lists from that. I guess we'll continue to monitor um, Wizards' websites in case the lists are posted while we're uh, while we're recording. But we do have some of the top eight lists, uh, courtesy of Twitter. And then we'll have a look through the five O lists as well and go through the ones of those that are interesting to us. So maybe we can start out with you talking about the ter- how the tournament went for you. Obviously, not that well. Not very well at all. Yeah. So I was playing. Uh, I was talking to you guys on 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 uh, our group, Secret Skullcrack Group DM, and uh, I was I was playing some leagues, and I was playing uh, Nexus. And literally every round, like four rounds in a row, I played against Sultai Good Stuff, which is what won the challenge last week. It's kind of everywhere at the moment. It's it's kind of the deck to beat, and it's just sort of the builds that i was playing against i didn't feel like i was having a good time playing nexus so i decided okay i don't really want to play this what do i want to play instead so what i decided to register for the challenge was the um cat packed deck that mcwinsauce came up with um i believe last weekend and i've been playing that to good success during the week i've generally been going three two four one in, in most of my leagues it's it's very consistent so to, for anyone who hasn't seen this it's basically uh, like an Esper control deck, uh, splashing the Sahili combo, uh, and also it has four copies of Demonic Pact and one copy of Harmless Offering. So the way it works is you just have a bunch of ways to blink and bounce your Demonic Pact. You have to Fairy, you have Felidar Guardian, you have Detention Sphere if things get particularly bad and you need to get rid of it. So you can generally just utilize Demonic Pact very well. For anyone who doesn't remember Demonic Pact, it's a four mana enchantment, uh, black, black, two black black. When it comes into, or sorry, on the beginning of your upkeep, you choose a mode that you haven't already chosen, or sorry, that hasn't already been chosen yet. That wording is kind of important. Uh, you either draw two cards, target opponent discards two cards, uh, you deal four damage to something and gain four life, or you lose the game. So basically, it's kind of a very cool, flavor, flavorful card. I think we all loved it when it got revealed. As uh, as time goes on, you're like getting scared that you're going to lose to the the pact. But it, that doesn't really happen in this deck because you can bounce it with your own Teferi, as I said. You can flicker it uh, with Felidar Guardian, which resets the modes. 
And then basically it puts enough pressure and draws you enough cards on the opponent that you can either win with the Sahili combo, which also works very well with Teferi because it shuts off interaction, or you draw your one-off Harmless Offering and just donate them the uh, the Demonic Pact. Harmless Offering lets you give one of your permanents to your opponent. So that bit is a bit cute, but honestly, I feel like Demonic Pact just deserves its place in the deck on its own. It just it just makes the games play out on a weird axis that that your opponent is just not used to playing against. And it, it just gives you a lot of value in the deck and it's not really much of a liability. So I was pretty happy with that. And I thought if I'm going to be playing against Sultai every round, I'm very happy to be playing this deck. Um, you know, you're just going to grind them out in long games, uh, stuff like that. So that's what I registered. And then I played against Nexus two rounds in a row <laughs> and uh, just got crushed by Nexus because you don't really have the interaction there to deal with what they're doing. Like you can bounce their wilderness reclamations and stuff and you have thought seizes, but, but that's about it. Like you don't like, you know what I mean? You're playing like Supreme verdicts and, and, and all this stuff. You, you just don't, you're not the build I had anyway, wasn't really set up to deal with Nexus. So uh, I kind of got, got hit by that bait and switch uh, and just went, just went, Oh, Oh, 03 drop i believe i can't even remember what the last round i lost was to but i was kind of done after i was 02 anyway uh i then just went uh, as i was playing in between the rounds i was playing a league with the same deck and i went 4-1 again with with the deck in in a league so i do think the deck is good and it's there i just got hit with the the uh the bad matchup a couple times and i maybe underestimated how many how much nexus was going to be at the tournament uh it did win the tournament overall which is pretty impressive um and i'm wondering if we'll see a if that'll contribute to a ban on monday uh but yeah that was basically my tournament experience was uh was pick probably a decent deck uh you know probably anticipating that sultai would be more of the meta than it than it actually was and then just got hit with the bad matchups yeah that is unfortunate i will say that everybody should remember demonic pact because on our 100th episode, when we were interviewing Lucas Esper Bertud, I named it as one of my favorite flavor cards. So, you know, everyone should remember it from then. Yeah, definitely. And the card is awesome. And it it feels amazing playing with it and winning, honestly. I was, I was streaming uh, last week. I think, uh, I think maybe I only had one viewer at the time, our uh, friend of the show, Eamon Sharpson. And in game three of a match, I mulled to four. So my hand with the London Mulligan was three lands no sorry four lands a demonic pact uh a sahili and a felidar and i kept three lands demonic pact because i was like basically this the, this is the hand where like the least things have to come together for me to win the game like you know what i mean what's the chances that i really win with the the sahili felidar combo they don't have a piece of removal or whatever whereas i just need to resolve one demonic pack to get back in the game and the game ended with me having four demonic pacts on the field and having resolved about seven of them and shooting my opponent for 20 with uh, the four damage triggers it was amazing oh my god that sounds fantastic uh yeah i mean that that hand of three lands demonic pact really kind of like if you get there if your opponent doesn't kill you before that then that just undoes your mulligan so i think that's fair it's a little bit scary that you might not draw something to interact with your own pact um yeah but you're mulling to four already right so it's like you just got to take that risk exactly yeah exactly you have to take you have to take a high risk hand and uh yeah got there for you so that's pretty cool yeah that's a that's a deck that i'm very interested in i i really hope that when I'm saying when when they ban uh, the the Feldar Guardian combo that they ban Sahili this time rather than Feldar Guardian because Feldar Guardian is so cool and it's actually 
the 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 actual text printed on it is not printed on any other magic card right so it's yeah a really unique card and it, it enables lots of unique things yeah i would kind of agree like sahili i don't know there's not even really any other combos with it in this format right like you don't have any any other way to really to get going with it i don't know yeah it's just not sahili's just not a very interesting planeswalker i think it's kind of cool like cloning something with haste is cool uh interacts with artifacts like you can grab artifacts out of your deck like it it could see play but it's just not it's not a very strong planeswalker by itself so i think yeah it would be fine to ban it wouldn't be really big big loss there might be some deck down the road somewhere that plays it but overall i think i'd rather have felidar guardian in the format i think it would get played a lot less than it does now obviously but I think mm-hmm. it's probably still worth playing in certain decks, like definitely like a Panharmonicon deck or whatever. Yeah, I think they probably will. They probably will just ban Felidar Guardian just because that's what they've done before, and you know it's like it looks better on them to just ban that than ban kind of a, a you know a, a face face of magic planeswalker type thing. Uh, so I, th- I reckon that probably is the route they'll go. The other route they could, could consider is banning to Fairy. Although I don't think they can really justify banning Teferi and Pioneer, but allowing people to play with it in Standard. Like, that kind of just doesn't make sense from how they're explaining the power level to you. You know what I mean? Yeah, I can see what you mean there. But I, honestly, I think they could justify it. I mean, the the main reason would be that decks that play Teferi and Pioneer, a lot of them are combo decks, and they use Teferi as a protection piece to allow them to go off with their combo basically unhindered with no interaction. Whereas that's not the case in standard. There's no, you know, no such deck. It's very is just that's a, true. a value card. So yeah, that's true. But uh, even so, I reckon yeah, they'll probably just get rid of the combo. People don't like playing against it. It's I don't like playing against it. I mean, like every time you play against a deck that's even like remotely touching those colors, you have to play the game in a way where you're like, this deck could be splashing the combo, and I have to respect that and play play as such. And that really slows down your game. If you decide to do that, you're going to be a turn or two slower, uh, you know, in your strategy, but just because you're trying to respect the combo. And then, yeah, and then the games where they do have it, but they just play Teferi and then combo you are, like, even more frustrating because of that. Yeah, uh, I think, like, considering Splinter Twin is still on the modern band list, that I, I feel like this is something that they don't want in Pioneer, just because of exactly what you said, like, the play pattern that it encourages is very awkward and it's just kind of an slightly i don't know what the word is um like a kind of an artificial restraining um element in the format yeah so yeah and it's just like i don't know man like you play against like blue white control decks that are like really nicely built and they're playing all these lovely blue white control cards like sphinx's revelation and stuff and you know people are finally getting to do their pet deck type thing again and then they feel like they have to just like splash red and play play zahili combo because you know, how can you really justify not doing that? And it's just like, oh, that sucks, you know? Yeah, yeah, it is unfortunate. Uh, do, do you anticipate anything else for, for bans? Uh, dig through time, I think for sure, has to go. It's just it's it's just in, in almost every blue deck. It's just too generically strong as a card. I kind of, like, for just as a safety thing, they could just ban Treasure Cruise at the same time. But there's really very few decks playing Treasure Cruise right now compared to Dig Through Time. And, like, I think the main... The main problem with Dig Through Time in the format is that Thoughtseize is is one of the strongest cards in the format. So, like, the ability to 
like this is why the Sultai kind of good stuff decks are, are so good is because you get to just like thought seize your opponent one for one them slow them down and then you're filling your graveyard with this cheap cheap thought seizes cheap removal stuff like that and you're nickel and diming them and then you just get to dig through time and just overwhelm them by like finding more of the answers you need and you just get to you get to you get to start by getting ahead with thought seize and then you get to to stay ahead with dig through time and it's just really difficult to fight that um so i think dig through time probably has to go yeah there are also a lot of cards and strategies that just incidentally put cards in your graveyard um and like they're just cards that you kind of want to be playing anyway cards like Seder wife wayfinder grizzly salvage uh like i mean cards in the phoenix even without those cards even but even without fetch lands even without any of that you're st- you can still dig through time on like turn turn five or something pretty reliably and that's that's when you only start needing to do it right you don't need to dig through time in the first three or four turns of the game because you've already got a bunch of cards in your hand it's it's when you start to run out that you need to dig and by then it's like you can always just you can always do it basically yeah i mean look at drawn from dreams drawn from dreams is is pretty much a like a perfectly well balanced dig through time um yeah and realistically you're just you're always casting dig through time for less mana than that and like at instant speed or whatever so I do kind of agree with you there. To be honest, no, nothing has felt really, really bad in the format to me yet. I don't feel like anything super needs to be banned, but I do agree with your reasoning about Dig Through Time and and that Treasure Cruise could probably stay. Um, like if you look at them in their in the, in their standard format, they neither of them needed to be banned. But um, over time and as the format continued, Dig Through Time was the one that was constantly being used in like the Esper Black decks and stuff like that, and Treasure Cruise was kind of relegated to maybe like Jeskai Tempo, which petered off, you know, fairly strongly as the format went on. Yeah. Now you can get off some really fast treasure cruises, like and the Phoenix deck, like the Fe- the Phoenix deck wouldn't be a thing if if Treasure Cruise was banned. And it's not particularly oppressive. I think it's I think the Phoenix deck is just kind of a 50-50 deck against everything. It's it's fine. It's it's not it's not destroying anything. It's not well it just kind of destroys like maybe mono green or something like that because you have like shocks and, and thing in the ice but but like apart from that uh, it's just like a fine deck and treasure cruise is the only thing making it a fine deck because that card's power level is so high so at the moment i think if you got rid of treasure cruise you would only be basically killing the phoenix deck and doing nothing else which doesn't seem like a great move to me even though i think you should the card should be for sure on the watch list yes completely agreed um anything else that you would be interested in seeing back- um either leyline of abundance or nykthos i think is something to be looked at uh the mono green decks just can just generate these absolutely absurd starts um with 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 leyline it's like even if you kill two of their mana dorks in the first two turns if they started with leyline they can still just still just completely overwhelm you on on turn on turn three or four um it's it's it just feels like completely unbeatable if if they get the if they have a good draw and like with the london mulligan it's quite easy for them to to get that draw there's no like cheap card in the format that you really want to play that can that can kill that enchantment before they just get to absolutely do nuts things with it like people are casting like turn two vivian arc bow rangers turn three nissa plus another planeswalker turn three ulamog uh it's it's just pretty absurd yeah, I would also agree with that. Um, I think I think Leyline of Abundance I would rather hit than Nykdos just because Nykdos can go in more decks and maybe is a more interesting card. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's just the yeah, basically Leyland of Abundance is busted because there's just a critical mass of mana dorks. And honestly, it would probably the deck actually that deck would probably still be too good even with Nickthouse gone, I think. Yeah, very possible. Although the ley line giving you two free devotion for the Nickthos is a big part of the problem. Yes. Yeah, but it, it, like if you take Nickthos away from a ley line of abundance into Manadork, Manadork draw, they can still turn to Nissa, is that right? Or not? Yeah. Okay. Um, no, sorry, they'd have four mana then. They need either double ley line of abundance or Nickthos. Okay. Okay. So it does make it a lot less uh, consistent, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I just I just think that deck is just the gold fishing aspect is just is just a little too consistent and too too hard to beat, even if you're trying to interact. Yeah, I think green in general, like there's a lot a lot of discussion right now how strong green is in standard, and you know you look at the the most played cards in like the leagues and WMCQs and what have you, and the you know it's like 10 green cards plus noxious grasp or whatever or nine green cards plus noxious grasp and uh, that's kind of ridiculous and i think green has been very strong throughout the whole time that pioneer uh is based on so i think green might need to be taken down a notch and i would like to see that done in the form of a ban on either once upon a time or oath of nissa or both I think Oath of Nyssa really enables some stupid color things, uh, as well as being just a ponder. And Once Upon a Time is just way too good for consistency. Again, like in the Monogreen Devotion deck, it just means that you always, always, always have that, that uh, Mana Dork on turn one and stuff like that. So I think one or both of those would be fine to be banned, in my opinion. I think, yeah, I agree generally that, that green does need to get hit and does need to lose, lose something. Uh, a lot of the the good green decks, like the mid-rangey ones, aren't even playing Once Upon a Time, which I've actually been surprised by. Maybe we'll talk about it later when we go through the list, but I've been like looking at looking at these Sultai lists, and I'm like, really? Zero Once Upon a Time? And the, the Delirium decks are playing Zero and stuff as well, so it's very strange to me. Uh, the card I would like to get, I would like to see hit in that spot is Veil of Summer. I think that would be a huge hit to green, uh, and it's one of the reasons why green is so dominant right now, is that the stuff that should be you should be able to do to like mid-range green decks to take them down a peg like you know Thoughtseize their threat after they they play their mana dork or or you know just counter their their like big threat that they play on turn four or whatever you just can't do that because of Veil of Summer and it's just so multi-purpose and it's just it's just so obnoxiously good on rate um that I, I I think that magic card honestly was a bit of a mistake, to be honest. You're seeing it pop up, like Tron playing it in modern and stuff like that, which I don't think is what they envisaged, envisaged for the card. Uh, it's just good, like, you know, it's like you jokingly call it Cryptic Command for one mana the whole time, but that is kind of what it is, you know what I mean? And like, to get the games like it like you shouldn't be able to get such an advantage on turn one where you're, when your opponent tries to thought seize you and uh and you veil of summer them like and you get to two for one them like that for one mana that's that's just it, it shouldn't be possible yeah i mean you you look at the card that it was kind of inspired by or based on which is autumn's veil which is basically the same card but it just doesn't have the text of draw card on it and you're like well how, how did they where did they come up with this that this is a good idea yeah, so I, I would like to see that get hit because I think it just dominates sideboard games for green, and it just it's just an auto include of like three or four copies in every green sideboard. Uh, it's just completely 
brainless basically you know what i mean to to you don't have to decide whether you want to put that in there or not it's just an auto include and i i think that probably means it's a bit too good obviously it's not as impactful in game ones and doesn't look as obvious a, a hit for a ban as something like once upon a time but i i think i would like to see that card go I just don't think it's. I just don't understand. It also just is not a green card to me. You know what I mean? I'm like, how or how is this effect at all green? Like, draw a card, make your stuff uncounterable, uh, like add counter your opponent's spell for one mana. I'm like, that's not. It just feels like a color pie break to me as well. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I think Veil of Summer is fairly mm, out of place um, in how strong it is. Like, it's it feels like like a legacy card or. A, vintage card or something and it's just a wrecking shop in, in both standard and pioneer yeah you know like the fucked up thing is it counters abrupt decay <laughs> you know what i mean that, that that is messed up yeah that's true it's just stupid counters dovin's veto yeah it makes uncounterable spells very counterable and you get to draw a card for your trouble yeah i completely agreed there uh okay so just ban all three of those uh just if anybody's interested or if anybody's wondering why we're given so much thought to these ban announcements it's because um they did make a tweet the magic the wizards magic uh, twitter account did make a tweet that they've seen lots of interest in in pioneer paper tournaments and they wanted to clarify the bnr um cycle and, and when they plan to do it so basically they've said that it'll be every monday so they, they've put some kind of schedule on it uh, every monday will be when they have like an opportunity or a window to to make changes to the format and the very first one is going to be on the 4th of November, which, as we record, is like two days from now. So um, I think this episode should likely be up before that. I'll put it up a little bit early, just so that we're not uh, completely behind on the state of the format. Uh, and people don't have to sit through our ramblings when we're <laughs> when we're out of date. Um, and then Aaron Forsyth clarified a little bit. He said the original uh, plan was to run it on, run the format on MTGO. And ban aggressively and off cycle, which meant basically whenever they felt like we had the justification any day, any time. And then since organizations are already committing to tabletop events despite this, we're going to just make ban list announcements slash changes on Mondays instead of at any time. We'll announce every Monday afternoon, even if we do nothing. So every Monday, there's a potential for changes to format, but they will not necessarily do anything with that, with that slot the same way that they do with the normal BNR announcements. Yeah, I think this is a pretty decent way to approach it. I think the reason they had to announce it like this is because SCG and uh, and a couple of like local 5K events and stuff like that switched their format from Standard to Pioneer because Standard isn't in a good place right now. And then Wizards went, uh-oh, we, they're now a bit worried that there's going to be these big tournaments showcasing Pioneer and they don't want it to be like a big broken mess that then people raise the pitchforks because of that too, right? So they're making it very clear that if there are problems, there are going to be changes and they're laying out ahead of time. This is how we're going to prevent any issues like that. Yeah, I think Wizards themselves are probably a bit surprised by how much people have taken to this format. Like after the way that Frontier was received, which by the way, let me just again say, so funny how people despised Frontier, but love this format. Um, after that, I guess they maybe thought that the uptake on Pioneer would be a little bit slower. But yeah, people have just like there's it's you know it's it's obviously a, a kind of a, a perfect storm of of um, conditions for people to be interested in this format. It's like modern is like in a fine place, but there's like nothing interesting going on in modern. Uh, standard is in a very poor place, 
and uh there's there's been no like new set or there's no spoilers out recently or whatever but uh so it was just kind of uh, everyone's attention was 100 percent fully captured by pioneer and obviously the you know historic is doesn't exist uh, <laughs> so people were like yeah let's jump into this format um which i think did kind of take wizards a little bit by surprise probably yeah yeah i think that's fair as well uh but like the formats i mean the format's just fun man i don't know it's it's great <laughs> gotta gotta hand it to wizards for once yeah yeah fair play to them um all right do you want to jump into a few lists and things yes let's do it well so we have some lists from the top eight of the pioneer ptq that was run on magic online just yesterday was it yesterday two days ago uh yesterday yesterday sorry no my timeline's wrong um some interesting stuff here i think the most interesting thing to me is that you said you faced um nexus into nexus in your like first couple of rounds and then nexus was the winning deck i think people were really sleeping on nexus in pioneer and maybe now it's had its break its breakthrough yeah i kind of realized after watching matt nass stream with bk last weekend that the deck was good and i played it a few times throughout the week i was consistently like four winning my leagues and probably could have five owed one or two of them if i if i hadn't screwed up um you know in, in key spots i guess that's always how it goes but uh and this deck is like extremely similar to what i was playing it's it's still just as uh tied on win conditions uh so this is um uh what is what is the guy's name um feder rusher is an italian player but yeah so he's playing uh one lumbering falls in the main as a win con uh it's like a little bit different deck he's playing four fogs literal fogs uh, not playing any haze of pollen which is slightly different to matt nasa's list has searched for Azcanta in the main one thing in the ice in the main one cyclonic rift in the main and two chart of course charter courses so very interesting list it's kind of a more mid-rangey kind of grindy build than matt nasa's which was much more combo-y uh, and then also playing a narset on four supreme wills which i really like matt nasa's build he was playing four sensors in that slot uh which i actually really like as well i, I quite like sensor as a card but maybe it's a thing that it is good when you just come up with the deck and it's not so great a week later i could definitely see that um four dig through times as as you should definitely have that card is insane in this deck uh, and two tamios which is insane with dig through time gets you your dig through times fills up your graveyard to cast your dig through times gets you back your dig through times from your graveyard to cast your next one fills up your graveyard again uh it basically is ju it's just an incredibly powerful engine that uh is is very difficult to stop once you're late in the game and having literal fog four copies of fog to uh combo with tamio as well is also a, makes a really really strong engine that comes online very fast and, and makes you very hard to kill um uh, then in the sideboard we have two negates three the three other thing in the isis a mystical dispute a jace architect of thought uh two display of dominance three veil of summer and three tireless tracker so jace presumably there against control and also good against the Sahili combo because it makes their cats have zero power thing in the ice just good against mid-range and just when you think you're not going to be able to win with this kind of lumbering falls nonsense you can just bring in a couple more of those tireless tracker just the best mid mid-range grindy sideboard card you know in in the modern era probably uh veil of summer is a broken card display of dominance is like the bootleg copy of Veil of Summer. I don't know how you get to playing the first display of dominance before you play your fourth Veil of Summer, but I guess I guess that's that's what you do. Uh, <laughs> that's the list. Yeah. 
bootleg Veil of Summer is a great name for Display of Dominance, yeah. Uh, I remember Display of Dominance in its standard environment was just never, ever played because it was like the weakest one of the cycle. But as you say, it is pretty similar to Veil of Summer. Um, I guess it destroys problem permanence on the other side, like enchantments or planeswalkers or whatever. Yeah, so it kill it kills Teferi, which stops you going off with Wilderness Reclamation in your end step. Yeah. Uh, and it kills Oko if you need to kill Oko as well. Although one of the big draws to this deck is that Oko isn't really a problem for you because they can't do anything about your Wilderness Wreck or, or your Planeswalkers or anything like that. Yeah, there's no no Elks to be seen in this deck. Um, sorry, ju- I, I you said at the start that this was Federusher, which it is not. Federusher was the person who slept through their semis. Uh, Right, right. Sorry. Uh, this is uh, Valerio. Who? Uh, the MTGO. Oh, yes. Player is trolling Saruman. Trolling Saruman. Very good name. Sorry. My apologies. Um, yeah. So I also played this uh, after you were pretty high in it. I not not exactly this list. Um, similar enough. And I really didn't like it because, like, I loved it. It was a really powerful deck, and I think it was really, really good. And I would have 4-1 my league, except in three out of my four rounds, uh, my opponents made me play out the combo twice, um, winning, like, win all the way both times. And Lumbering Falls was the only win condition. So one of them, I, like, I was able to do it uh, two out of those three times, like, with maybe a minute left on my clock. And then the third of those times, um, my opponent was, you know, just running out the clock, leaving me to, to do the whole thing. And I accidentally uh, clicked past the turn when I hadn't cast the Nexus of Fate and gave my opponent another turn, uh, which made me very, very annoyed. And just the way that people react to decks like this on Magic Online, uh, they do the same thing on Arena, but on Arena it's much easier because you can like auto-cast your cards. So you don't have to tap your mana. Um, it's just much faster. And I, I've never run out my clock playing Nexus on Arena, uh, but I almost did three times in, in this one league. So I've kind of sworn off decks like this. Maybe that's just my own fault and I need to uh, play it faster. But I, I really feel like this is unfortunate because I don't know why people do this when you very clearly have the win. Because what if the person who's playing the Nexus deck on the other end has some kind of uh, physical, not disability, because I think, don't th- literally don't think you could play this deck with with a, a physical disability that affected your, your hands or whatever. But, um, you know, if, even if they just had like some kind of illness, like arthritis or whatever, any kind of problem with your motor skills, you should not play this deck. And that really annoys me that people make you do that. Um, I guess it's like a side thing that's maybe, it's not related to the deck list at all, but just something that I that I thought about a lot and annoyed me a lot. <laughs> I actually I actually don't agree with that. I was like, I, I do appreciate where you're coming from, but in my opinion, it's like when you sign up to a, a tournament on Magical Line, you're signing up to the thing where you have 25 minutes to win the game. And so, if your opponent wants to exploit that, you know that's 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 just the game. I don't th- I don't think it's uh I don't think it's really on on you to uh to do that for your opponent. Like I've timed out many many Magic Online game, and I'm just like yeah yeah should have played faster, you know. So it's just something you got to take into account. And there are certain decks I don't play on Magic Online because I don't think I can win with them fast enough and stuff like that. I have avoided decks like that in the past because of that. So I think that's just what you got to do. Yeah, I can certainly see that um i don't know uh, i think it's it's a complicated question um and i don't come down strongly on this side i just do think like one one of the one of the situations involved me 
Like, I had one, and I had, like, a minute left on the clock, and I had one more attack to do. So I just sent a message to my opponent and said, you know, you probably should have conceded. Like, it was pretty clear that I had enough time to win. I only had to do mm. a few a few attack steps or whatever. I, I, I just said, you should have conceded. And the opponent was... Uh, the opponent said something rude back. I don't know what it was. And um, <laughs> then I was like, well, I mean, you just kind of wasted both of our time by making me do the whole thing. And then the opponent was like, no, you're wasting our time. I was like, what? oh, well, that's definitely not right. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, that's just childish and you're always going to get that. But it's whatever, you know, I feel like if, if you play if you play a, a deck like this, you're signing up to uh, to play out your combo. You know what I mean? And, and that doesn't really bother me. So no, you, you are right. You are right. Um, I, I just feel also like I, I, in, in paper. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, you go, you go. Uh, in paper, I just feel like that would never happen because people feel a social pressure to not be rude in that way. Do you know what I mean? Well, in pa- yeah, it's kind of, I mean, it's you'd have to come up with a slightly different example because in paper, you can just de- say, I've demonstrated a loop, I'm going to do this 50 times. And then, you know, a judge will say, yeah, unless you have a response, that's that's going to happen because because the loop has been demonstrated. So it is just one of the the shortfalls of Magic Online that, that you can't you can't do that in, in a way once you've made the game deterministic. Uh, I will say that with this deck, I've never come close to to running out of time. Like I always have at least five minutes left on my clock. Even yeah, I think even after three games. So yeah, part of it is probably just playing faster and also just like manipulating before you go for the win. Just deck yourself. You know what I mean? Just aggressively mill yourself out with Tamio until you just have four nexus in your deck, and then every turn you just go activate Lumbering Falls, attack, play the nexus I drew for turn F six, and that's all you have to do for the rest of the game. Yeah, yeah, no, I. You know, part of it definitely was the fact that I just haven't, you know, haven't played MTGO that much in the last, I don't know, year. Um, so I was a little bit slower with it. So that that definitely was a factor. Um, just just a warning to people, I guess. I mean, if you're not prepared to play out your combo, then maybe think about not playing this deck. Um, just yep, definitely. Although I will say, you do win really, really fast with the uh, thing in the ice kill if you have that sideboarded in. So yes. Absolutely, yeah. So the things that I wanted to say about this deck are number one, the one thing in the ice in the main, which I said to you, I was like, this is this is a great way to not time out. Um, I do agree that it's probably just strictly worse to play the one thing in the ice in the main. It just opens you up to interaction when you don't really need to be. Um, the one Cyclonic Rift in the main, I think, is a great choice. Cyclonic Rift is an insane card, and then four Supreme Wills is a big surprise to me. What do you think of the four Supreme Wills? Um, I think I prefer Sensor. So I, like I spoke to earlier, like it does dig you quite far, but it's really expensive. And like even when you have Wilderness Reclamation out, three mana is is still expensive, and you might not be able to like just on your on your turns five or six or whatever, you're not you might still not have enough mana to uh, to Nexus after you Supreme Will. So I'm kind of not a huge fan of that. Uh, the Cyclonic Rift I think is fine, although. Like the other obvious thing to have in this slot would be blink of an eye, right? So like instead of thing in the ice and cyclonic cyclonic rift, you just have two blink of an eye. And I kind of just maybe this is just me, like you know, not wanting to uh to kill my kill my darlings or whatever. But how often is bouncing more than one permanent relevant compared to getting to draw an extra card with blink of an eye? Because I kind of feel like the drawing an extra card thing is more useful more often. Yeah, you could be right. Um, I feel like the ideal build would maybe be one Cyclonic Rift, one Blink of an Eye, and, and all the thing in the ice in the sideboard. 
because I do think the cyclonic rift can be useful, like especially if if lumbering falls is your only way to win, then and like let's say the opponent has like a lot of creatures on the board when you go to do your combo, uh, just doing one cyclonic rift to get them all out of the way can be good. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, so that could be a time consideration thing again, I guess, as well. I mean, you do have Blast Zones to clear out creatures as well in, in that circumstance. So Blast yeah. Zone, obviously amazing in this deck, i got to say. Uh, Castle Vantress, also super, super good in this deck. Uh, and yeah, so the other one other difference, as, as you said, you thought the win conditions were very tight in Matt Nass's list. So this does have the second Tamiyo as well, compared to Matt Nass was just playing one, one Tamiyo. And that is a change I made in his list as well. Uh, I started playing two Tamios just because sometimes you're in a situation where you have to play your Tamio early to get a fog back and then they kill the Tamio and then you're like, oh, now I can't win with the Lumbering Falls anymore. You know what I mean? Because I can't trade with a creature and recur it or or whatever. So I definitely like having a, a second Tamio available. That card is, is gas. Yeah, completely agreed. Um, on to second place, Todd Anderson. Wait, actually, just on, on this one, one last question on this. Why are they playing Charter Course? Mm, I do not know. Like to to discard your supreme wills. Yeah, like wouldn't strategic planning be better if you want to like dig for Nexus and fill up your graveyard for dig through time? Why chart a course? It's good once you board in your tireless trackers and stuff, but I don't feel like they need the help. Yeah, I mean it. It is a way to discard your thing in the ice, which is a liability in game one true yeah and like yeah i guess like you have fogs and stuff and if you have if you're playing against a control deck and stuff it's nice to be able to filter through your your dead cards eh, i can kind of see it yeah i probably agree that strategic planning is just better like putting putting two cards in the yard for for dig through time is likely better and it's a sorcery like it doesn't work with wilderness reclamation like i just don't it's really weird you can draw cards like once you get your combo going if you're maybe not far enough into your deck you can attack with lumbering falls and then draw two cards yeah <laughs> i mean that yeah that's a lot of mana <laughs> yeah uh, that also just doesn't get you as deep into your library as uh strategic planning anyway so having raw cards yeah doesn't matter there. i mean there are there are a lot of multiples that you're happy to get rid of in this deck for example like a search for Azkanta. if you draw the second one of those you're happy to get rid of it um, you know, fogs, you might not need multiples, especially if you already have a Tamiyo out. Wilderness Reclamation, that that used to be a lot more useful to have multiples of those out in standard. Now, now that you have dig through time, it's very rare that you ever need more than one Wilderness Reclamation to play, so you can probably ditch the extra copies of that. So maybe it's just that, that you have a lot of cards you don't really need two of. Yeah, yeah, it could be. I don't know. I I would tend towards strategic strategic planning over charter course, but maybe there's just not that much of a difference between them, or like it's not not substantive enough that it it really matters. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. That's that's probably enough time spent on uh, spent on that card. All right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So second place list: Todd Anderson, Mono Green Devotion. Um, again, I, I like this deck. I think it's just doing very strong things in the format. Um, pr- probably these are the two decks that I think are the most broken in the format. Um, in nexus and and monogreen devotion and yeah we see a, the burning tree emissary version here i know not all versions of it have burning tree emissary but i think i think burning tree emissary is just an absolute no-brainer for this type of deck um other yeah, i mean it's strange it's, it's just excellent with nick those right yeah of course yeah it's you know the the two devotion and then if you happen to have more than one of them in your hand when you play it you can just you know you get a ridiculous amount of devotion and with the mana to to activate Nyctos straight away. Yeah. 
Um, other weird cards in the list, uh, Corsair Crufix. I don't know if I've seen that in other lists. Yeah, I've seen a couple of lists playing this. I think it's fine. Like that card is just super high power level. Um, it, like you're not always going to have the nut draw in these tournaments. You always want to be able to deal with like mono red and stuff like that. This card's just a superstar against mono red. So if you play against an aggro deck where they kill a couple of your, your elvish mystics and stuff like that, it is really nice to be able to just uh, stabilize with a Corsair Acrofix and, and then just win off like a normal mid-range game. So I think it's kind of a hedge against that, if I had to, had to guess. Yeah, sure. And Vivian Arcbo Ranger, I guess kind of similar, can turn your Burning Tree Emissaries into good threats uh, and obviously just adds a lot of devotion by itself. So two copies there. Um, and then in terms of the actual payoffs here, we have Voracious Hydra, four of Voracious Hydra and four Walking Ballista. So some some decks play Ulamog. And Nissa. Uh, Nissa, of course. Yeah, Nissa. Uh, I mean, I kind of count Nissa in the enablers, but I guess she is also a payoff. Um, she is like the payoff, in my opinion. Yeah. Just the, yeah. Yeah, um, Yeah. some of the decks play Ulamog, and we see one Ulamog in the sideboard here. In, in my opinion, Walking Ballista is the best of the payoffs because it just wins the game so fast. Like, sometimes you might be able to win the game I don't know, potentially the turn that you play it, you can generate a lot of devotion pretty fast. Or if not, then you can just generate a lot of mana the next turn and, and win as well. Uh, Voracious Hydra, I don't love. Obviously, it's a massive threat. If you you know cast it for X equals 10, then it's going to be a, a 20, 21. And you know, it's attacking for lethal pretty fast. Um, but it is vulnerable to like Abrupt Decay, which is extremely played in the format at the moment. It's very. I guess it's very good if there's a lot of creature decks running around. I mean, they've already used their Abrupt Decays on your Mana Dorks too, most likely. I suppose, yeah, that that is true. Also, not playing uh, Sylvan Carrioted this version, which which a lot a lot of decks were. Yeah, I don't think Syl- Sylvan Carrioted is really that essential to the strategy. I think no, I think maybe the blue green decks play it more just to have more blue sources for Crisis. Okay, yeah. Although I think with the the blue green decks. Should they not play Kiora's Follower instead? Because Kiora's Follower can untap Nyctos, right? Um, oh, yeah, I guess so. But I think it's just the Hexproof. It's just pretty important. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I do like this list. Uh, one Castle Garm Break in the mana base. I think that is a good shout um, for those draws when you haven't got your Nyctos online or you don't have your Devotion uh, yet. You can just you know use that for an extra mana to play a big Voracious Hydra or Walking Ballista. Um, mm-hmm. As I said, the full the full four Oath of Nissa for Once Upon a Time. So if, if this deck got hit, if, if Oath of Nissa, Once Upon a Time, and Leyline of Abundance all got banned, uh, this deck would be absolutely gutted. Um, I mean, I really think it is taking advantage of these, these cards to a, an insane degree. Although I will say, zero copies of um, Veil of Summer in this deck. They just don't care about that. They're like, we're just going to go fast enough. It doesn't matter. Uh... Yeah, that has to be egregious, right? Uh, Shaper Sanctuary in the sideboard is similar. Yeah, but you don't have to uh, hold up mana for it. It's like proactive, I guess. I can kind of see that. Yeah. What is Nylea's Disciple? What does that do? Um, Is that like a, a reach creature or something? What the hell is that? Nylea's Disciple, Theros. Uh, two green green for a 3-3 three, three Centaur Archer. When it enters the battlefield, you gain life equal to your devotion to green. Okay, so that's an anti-aggro card. Seems pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> four, four of them though, really? I don't know. I guess you think red is your worst matchup. Yeah, I, probably. 
probably. Yeah, three uh, three scavenging moves as well. Not the worst. Yeah, and and then. But yeah, and the court. and uh, keep in mind that this is a wish board as well, like for the Ulamog, the Hornet Queen, the Whisperwood Elemental, a Disciple. Because if you play a fast Vivian Arc by Ranger and plus it, you can just minus the next turn and get a huge threat and play it. Yes, that is very very true. And we see the one one Reclamation Sage in the sideboard there as well. Yep. All right, so high on this deck. Expect something to be banned out of it, in my opinion. Yeah, I think they'll just get rid of the Leyline of Abundance. It just enables really dumb stuff. Yeah. And the deck will be fine without it. Yeah. Uh, moving on to a list by Evan Whitehouse, who was in the top four and lost to the Monogreen Devotion list. This is Kethis Combo. We have not seen a lot from Kethis Combo in Pioneer yet, but I do think it has the potential to be one of the stronger decks. Um when it came out of nowhere in, at the end of its standard season, it really felt like the type of combo that you never expect to see in standard and was extremely, extremely strong and maybe had the chops to hold up possibly in modern, although it's very creature-based, so it's open to disruption and it's also open to graveyard hate. But of course, the, the removal in this format is not as good as modern and the graveyard hate is fine. It, the graveyard hate is pretty decent. But uh, I think there's just not a lot of graveyard decks running around at the moment. So a lot of people are not putting that graveyard hate in their sideboard. Um, so I think this deck is probably pretty well positioned. What kind of upgrades does it get in Pioneer? So we see here... It's insane. It gets so many upgrades. It's yeah. actually ridiculous. We see the core of the deck is uh, the combo between Mox Amber, Kethis, and Diligent Excavator. So milling your deck in that way. We also have Teferi, we have Oko, we have Emery, which obviously rotated in when Mox Amber rotated out. So everyone was very happy that they didn't have to play against that in Standard. But here it is in Pioneer. And we have Hope of Girapur as an extra, um, an extra legendary permanent that can also offer some protection to your combo. We have Oath of Nyssa, fixes your mana for your Planeswalkers. It's a legendary permanent that goes... Legendary as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the mana... Urborg, uh, legendary land. Oh, yeah. Wow. Didn't even think about that. Yeah. Urborg as a legendary land. Um, this is very sweet. Looks very strong. This deck looks busted. I haven't played against this. I haven't played it. But um, yeah, this deck looks absolutely ridiculous to me. Uh, it's not playing any of the cards that we called out as being the busted cards of the format, uh, which is kind of interesting. Got no dig through times or anything like that. Obviously, you're looking to, to fill up your graveyard, but then you want to exile it with Kethis. You don't want to be delving it away. Um, I guess Jace, is Jace the best way to win here, or is this a time consideration? Because the first thing I was going to say when this deck came up was, uh, you know, we were just talking about uh, you you timing yourself out on Magic Online, and this deck looks like a very good way to do it to me. Yes, I also probably would not play this deck because I think I would time out. Um I think Nexus of Fate is strong enough that you probably can't rely on just milling your opponent to win. Um, and milling yourself sounds better to me. So that's why we see the one-off Jace here. And of course, with Kethis yep. on the board, you can always get back your Jace from the graveyard. So yeah, it's just a very um, very consistent combo, I think. And Hope of Giripper, you can uh, attack with that and stop them. And you can sack it and, and then they can't interact with your combo. You can play your Kethis afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, so Hope of Gearper and Teferi. Yeah, Hope Hope and Teferi both uh, protecting your combo. And like Emery can get the Hope of Gearper back from the graveyard without exiling any cards as well. Yeah, this deck looks sweet. Uh, going through the sideboard, we got three Fatal Push, three Thoughtseize, just best early cheap interaction cards in the format. Uh, one Assassin's Trophy, two Narsets, two Ashioks, another Oko, 
One Tashar is kind of a secondary combo enabler, sort of... Um, the decks were playing this in standard for a while, and then they got rid of it. They realized they could just trim it. I'm not sure why you would need to bring it in from the board now. Uh, and then two Urza's Ruinous Blast to round it off, which is obviously very nice. Yeah, why? when do you want the Tashar, I wonder? That's interesting. Maybe just uh, against decks that have a lot of interaction, you can just kind of sandbag it and have it like play it and a Mox Amber in, in the same turn in order to kind of get your combo going or play like a Teferi to protect yourself. Yeah, maybe it's against against like Supreme Verdict decks or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like it just kind of seems like a value way to continue doing your doing your thing. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Yeah, this deck seems very strong to me. I would be very interested in playing this in paper only. <laughs> I might try it at Magic Online. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I would confuse myself so much playing this deck though. <laughs> yes, it does seem like a very confusing deck to play. All right, well, even though this is a very exciting deck, there's not really much to say about it because it is very similar to the standard version, obviously, with lots of good upgrades. Um, and, you know, it just kind of it just plays out. There's nothing nothing too surprising about it. Uh, it just is what it is, I think. Yeah, if you know what it is, you know what we're talking about. If you don't know what it is, uh, go look it up if you like wacky combos. Yeah, scryfall.com, search, Kethis, the hidden hand. Uh, all right, next one we have up here is from Joshua Bausch, who is ValorJ90 on MTGO. And this is a Phoenix list. I'm not sure exactly where this person came in the uh, in the top eight. Uh, but yeah, pretty standard is it Phoenix list for Pioneer at the moment. Uh, I don't really see anything unusual in the main deck. Uh, still on the two Merchant of the Veil that many of the decks are running. Four Lightning Axe. Or is a charm for treasure cruise uh fiery tempers there yeah 20 yeah it's pretty much just totally stock at this point yeah i, I they, there are a few bits of spice in the sideboard so it does have chandra torch of defiance as we as we said last week uh it seems to be a very good sideboard card two royal scions so maybe numbers of royal scions slightly creeping up in general overall and then the real spice in the sideboard are three cards here Entrancing Melody, which we did see in the main deck of one of the cards from the challenge, uh, but I think it earns much more of a, a spot in the sideboard, in my opinion. So I think it's 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 spicy in that we haven't really seen it in the sideboard before, but it is kind of a standard sideboard card for this strategy. Then we've got Hour of Devastation. What's going on there? Hour of Devastation removes Indestructible, right? Yeah, sorry, I'm just bringing this up because I actually forgot what this card did. Yeah, removes Indestructible. All creatures lose Indestructible and then does 5 damage to everything, right? For 3 red red. Uh, I think so. It's hard to uh, Google it because it's also the name of the set. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there we go, I got it. Indestructible until end of turn. It deals 5 damage to each creature and each non-bolus planeswalker. There we go. Still so... Kill Oko. Yeah, weird, weird. Yeah, still doesn't kill Oko. It'll kill pretty much every other planeswalker. What creatures have indestructible that are relevant? Like Fleece Mane Lion, uh, the gods, if you're worried against playing against them, Bristling Hydra. <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't think the indestructible is a big deal. I think probably the Planeswalker. The Planeswalker. Just a Planeswalker. Yeah. Is the, is the important one. But uh, Yeah, see, I, I guess so, yeah. I don't know that I love it. Don't know what spot I'd be like, yeah, our Devastation, bringing that in. Mm. 
Yeah, I'm not so sure about that one. This is it is an interesting sideboard, as you said in general. Entrancing Melody is a card I played with in the first Phoenix list I ran. I found it quite good actually. Uh, it's it's quite good against like mono red prowess and stuff like that. Stealing a Swift Spear or a Soul Scar Mage actually is quite impactful in your deck because you can just turn into a little mini prowess deck. Um, so that's quite good. It's obviously good against like X creatures as well. Um, the Sweltering Suns I tried out for a while. I didn't like it so much. I guess it's just a hedge against playing against too much aggro. That's one of the things I don't like about Phoenix is that you're kind of forced into playing Sweltering Suns over Anger of the Gods because obviously you don't want to exile your own Phoenixes. But having the cycling card isn't too bad either. It does, does find you that action, although it's very expensive. Um, I think the the one other sideboard option that we did mention was the Royal Scions, which I've been very down on. And every time I see it in lists, I'm like, where where are we bringing this in? Why are we doing this? And the the player, Valerie J90, uh, Joshua Bausch, actually did reply in this Twitter thread where he posted his list saying he disliked the Royal Scions a lot. So even if the uh, the top eighting another top eighting list you know plays it but doesn't like it, I wonder if we're going to see a trend away from this, or if there's something that we're all you know some players are seeing that the rest of us aren't in terms of why we want to play this card. Yeah, I think there's probably like different decks that want it more. I don't know if it's like the most amazing in in, in the Phoenix shell. Um, I was watching Aspiring Spike playing like a Grixis Pyromancer deck, and it seemed quite good there. So perhaps that would be the shell to to look at. Yeah, I could see it there. The uh, the other thing that we didn't mention or that we didn't talk about yet is the is Keranos in the sideboard. So we were both looking at this saying that we liked it. Um, so just in case people uh, have forgotten what this card is, it's Keranos, God of Storms, three blue red, legendary entrapment creature, God, indestructible of course. It's a six five, but as long as your devotion to blue and red is less than seven, it isn't a creature. Um, and then you reveal the first card you draw on each of your turns. Whenever you reveal a land card this way, draw a card. Whenever you reveal a non-land card, it deals three damage to target creature or player. It's the coolest god, in my opinion. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, so this card's super sweet. Um, you have Izzet Charms and Opts as w- and Merchant of the Veil vale as ways to draw cards on your opponent's turn, so you can trigger this on your opponent's turn as well. Oh no, sorry, it's only on your turns that it works, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Damn it, it's too fair uh so never mind that yeah it's just a good value card i think it's going to be basically never turned on as a creature right it's you'll, you're never going to have this this type of devotion so it's basically just an enchantment that wins you the game yeah it's it's pretty much just always an enchantment in the deck unless you're playing crackling drakes then you might get there yeah that, i haven't been been too up on that card to be honest i mean e- even with crackling drake which literally has all colored mana in its cost and and Karanos, you know put those two together you still only have six devotion so you still need one more thing uh, mm-hmm, yeah but yeah you're, you're very unlikely to activate it as a creature if you ever do you're probably winning anyway because you have so much stuff on yep. board um four phoenixes yeah and a thing in the ice yeah <laughs> wait when <laughs> seems good when thing in the ice is flipped does it give devotion does that how does that work i yes i believe so because it has the same cmc right it has the same cmc but it doesn't have a mana cost does it Mm, that's true. Interesting. Maybe it doesn't work. It has a so cool. you need an unflipped thing in the ice. Huh? You need an unflipped thing in the ice and four phoenixes. Yes. <laughs> or a royal science. Or yep. That, that, that gets you there a little bit as well. Yeah. Uh, all right. And then uh, from this from this Twitter thread, uh, as you said, Joshua about making a few a few comments there. 
about how uh, Royal Signs were not great. He said that in the top eight, there were two Blue Red Phoenix, one Green Devotion, one Land Ramp, which I assume is maybe some kind of a Field of the, field of the Dead deck, um, one Four Color Sahili, and one Kethis Combo, and the last two that he didn't know. Yeah, so the Land Ramp deck is a Raging Tilt Monsters list oh. that we have here as well. Yes, yeah, so that's the next one that we're going to talk about. Uh, so yeah, so this one yeah. is a Golos Field of the Dead deck. Only two Field of the Dead, though. Uh... It's, it's an Ugin the Spirit Dragon deck. That's what it is. Yeah, it's an Ugin the Spirit Dragon plus Ulamog plus Emrakul plus Walking Ballista deck. And it's an Hour of it. Promise deck. Hour of Promise is a, a very interesting card that I think could be very good in this format. It does a similar thing to Golos. I mean, it's it's the same as Golos, but it just gets two lands, and it makes you zombies, of course. Yeah, so if you get it and get Field of the Dead, you get a lot of zombies. <laughs> you certainly do. Um, you need to get Deserts, though, to get zombies from it. You need to have... I actually don't even remember. I think, is it two Deserts in play? Three Deserts in play. Three. Three, yeah. Um, yeah, so let's let's go over this list. Four Once Upon a Time, Four Arboreal Grazer. So, kind of similar to what you would want to be doing in Standard. Uh, although, they were n- yeah, they're not, not playable together anymore, uh, sadly. Uh, well, they are, but uh, Field of the Dead is gone as a payoff. <laughs> Elvish Rejuvenator, that's the one that never got to be played together once upon a time in Standard. Uh, for Nissa's Pilgrimage, of course, pretty nice to get yourself a forest, uh, two forests, or three forests from your deck. Uh, so many forests. You're not really going to have spell mastery ever in this deck, though. Uh, that's true. You're you're right. You're not. Uh, you might. <laughs> it's very unlikely. Uh, only eight spells in the deck. Uh, no, sorry, twelve spells. Hour of promise. Uh, so four hour yep. promise to Golos. You will never activate the Golos in this deck. Is that right? Yes, you will never activate the Challenge Golos. Challenge accepted. Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. No, no. You have cascading cataracts. Boom. Yeah, I don't think there's any way to untap it, is there? What? There's no way to untap it. Wait, ca- wait. what does Cascading Cataracts do? It makes Wooberg. Oh, okay. I thought it just made That's one mana of any color. No, no. Add five mana in any combination of colors. Oh, okay. All right. Never mind. Uh, yeah. So Cascading Cataracts also has Indestructible. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Cascading Cataracts and then four Ugin the Spirit Dragon, four Ballista, one Ulamog, one Emrakul. And yeah, the lands obviously are very important here. We've got how many deserts? This is the wildest mana base I've seen in, in Pioneer so far. Yeah, there's eight deserts in total. So there's three Hashap Oasis, two Desert of the Indomitable, and one Scavenger Grounds. Scavenger Grounds is pretty nice there in the mana base. So Hashap Oasis is the one that uh, you can sack it to, or sack a desert to put a count. Six deserts. What? I think you said eight deserts, but I think there's six, right? Oh, sorry, six. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Um, Hash of Oasis puts counters, isn't that right? Uh, yes, it puts three counters on a creature. Yeah. It's one green green to sack it on top of it. Yeah, and then Desert of the Indomitable is the one that comes in tapped, and then it's just a cycling cycling land for green. Um, yes. And uh, Castle Garnbrig, four of in the in the mana base here, and then we've got like one, two, six forests. Uh, we've got a couple of Sanctum of Ugin. Which is nice if you want to, if you cast one of your big colorless threats, you can go and get another one. Uh, Shrine of the Forsaken Gods, which ramps you from, what is it, seven to nine? Yeah, it's pretty awesome in this deck. Like, that, that means you can play Ugin on seven lands. Yes. Yeah. Uh, 
And that combined with Castle Garenbrig really gets you to Ulamog and Emrakul faster too. Does, yeah, it really does. Um yeah, that's an interesting what's what's the math on that? Is it just seven they both give you two mana basically. So it's you've eight eight mana eight lands to cast Ulamog. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah, that works out. Uh, that's pretty sweet. Which can happen obviously the turn after you cast our promise, right? Uh yep. Yeah. And you know, our promise very conveniently fetching any land, any two lands. So you could have Ulamog in your hand and then just cast our promise and then the next turn uh, with your our promise you go and fetch exactly castle garnbrig and shrine of the forsaken gods and then next turn you can cast ulamog if you have another land in your hand then we also have the two field of the dead and one field of ruin cascading cataracts as we mentioned and then two blast zone uh, rounding out the utility lands not so sure about the field of ruin i guess it's nice to just have one when you've so many so much tutoring yeah i don't think the one is going to cause you really any problems and yeah as you say it's nice to have in case there's any problematic lands on the other side of the battlefield unless the other side has cascading cataracts in which case field of ruins doing nothing i wouldn't mind seeing maybe a seagate wreckage there instead yeah seagate wreckage is an interesting one so that's the one that draws you cards if you pay like two and a colorless isn't it yeah and you can only do it if you're hellbent i think yes i believe that's correct um sideboard what do we got here we've got three return to nature that's pretty pretty much one of the strongest cyborg cards in Pioneer, right? It's like so it's one in a green for modal spell of either um destroy an artifact, exile exile a card from a graveyard, or what's the other mode? Destroy an enchantment. Destroy an enchantment or destroy a flyer? No, it's artifact enchantment or exile a card from a graveyard. Artifact enchantment or exile a card from a graveyard. Okay, yes. Um so we're three return to nature, three veil of summer. Four Jaddy Offshoot. Can't believe Al's not here. I know. <laughs> uh, so that's the green for the O3 that has Landfall gain a life. Uh, two Thought Knots here. Very interesting sideboard strategy here. There are a lot of colorless forces mm. in the deck. So maybe you could be playing more there. And then uh, three Sorcerer Spyglass. Yeah, it's like, it's kind of the sideboard you expect to see from, from this, isn't it? It's like, it's never going to be spectacular when you're playing this super linear green colorless ramp strategy. You're, you're never going to have an amazing sideboard. Why does everyone stop at three Veil of Summer? Why is everyone so scared of the fourth Veil of Summer? Yeah, I think I think people are just scared of four ofs and sideboards in general. But it's just broken. Yeah, it's pretty insane. Like in this deck, if the game goes long enough and you get to resolve your cards, you're always going to win, right? Yeah. So like, I would just, I would play fucking six Veil of Summers if I could. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Should be restricted, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> I saw a lot of people floating the idea of a restricted list for this format, and I'm just like, no, I don't think that really does. People people always say that. People say that about modern. It's just like, come on. People were saying that about in standard, about Field of the Dead, and I'm like, you, everyone's lost their minds. How do you they say that? <laughs> oh, so funny. Um, yeah, so I think this like, deck looks pretty sweet, and I don't see much here that is likely to get banned or anything like that. I think this will just probably continue to be a good strategy in the format. Yep. Veil of Summer. It's <laughs> getting banned at some point, I'm calling it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think that reduces the overall power of the deck all that much. Maybe you want to go more uh, to the in that case, so you get your uncounterable effect. 
Uh, this looks pretty sweet. I think I'm going to run through a league with this deck and see what I think after the podcast. All right. All right. Let us know. I think you could also add another color to this deck easily enough. You know, get a few Okos in there. Yeah. Even just as a sideboard card, right? Yeah. Maybe you want to change the Nissa's Pilgrimages to like another type, that type of effect so you can get other colors. I don't know. Yeah. Well, 28 lot. This is a serious deck. Pilgrimage only gets basic forests. So. Um, right. That's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. Right. So change it out for something. Yeah. 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 Get a throw a Beanstalk Giant in there. No, don't do that. <laughs> um, yeah, I like this deck a lot. All right, so that's that's what we know of the top eight of the Pioneer PTQ that happened on Magic Online. Yeah, we, do, we know Mental Misstep was on the, his usual, I believe, four-color Sahili value Oko deck as well, but we've talked about that before. Yes, so as it stands, I think there's two decks that we don't know what they are. Yep. Yeah. All right, sweet. Um. There is a bit of news otherwise. This this stuff feels so long ago uh, because it happened the day after we uh, we put the last episode up. But the, there was a statement on the magic.gg website uh, explaining a little bit more about the um, ways to qualify for players' tours in 2020. Um, so basically just detailing fractional invites a little bit. So I'll read through a little bit of it here and then we'll give our ideas on it. Uh, so they're going to be releasing the official Players Tour policy documents. That will be this week. So last week they said it'll be next week. So that'll, that'll be sometime this week. So we should have more information coming about it this week. Uh, but their objectives with the system are to give players more control over their future and make good finishes mean more at Players Tours and Grand Prix. Uh, things this system is not. The final version of Fractional Invite. So they are going to change it based on feedback in the future and how they feel it's working. Uh, integrated into the Players Tour Qualifier tier yet, so fractional invites are not integrated into PTQs in any way yet. Uh, they don't invite players to the Players Tour Finals yet, which is going to be like the, the big PTs, and it's also not the final branding because they think that fi fractional invites sounds lame, uh, but they don't have another good name for it. I would put forward the name uh, Pro Points. Uh, they could use, use that. It's a great idea for me. That would actually make uh, that podcast that PV and Sam Black and Mike Sigaris do, that, that would make their name make a lot more sense. So that'd be a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. They, they really got screwed on that one. Yeah. I mean, this is just a good change, right? To me, it's like they've just streamlined the old pro point system. They've taken the benefits away, obviously, right? So, but that system was just gone. We knew it was gone. So I think people complaining, I've seen this, people complaining, being like, oh, it's just the old system, but without the the benefits of the pro players club. And it's like, yeah, it is, but that was already gone. It's not like that's being pulled from you now. This is just something that's being given back uh, in lieu of it. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not news that you're not getting those benefits at this point. Yeah, so th this is kind of a step back in the direction of something that a lot of people wanted. Um, so, I, you know, this is... This is a positive change, um, allowing people to have some way to chain a number of decent but not top finishes together into invites to things is is really good. And it was something that was missing from the system as they proposed it before. And the fact that they've brought it in and realized, oh, actually, yes, we, we do need this. Otherwise, it's going to massively discourage anybody who gets ninth at an event ever. Um, yeah, I think I think it's, it's just a necessary thing. And just to give the details... Uh, so basically, at Grand Prix, if you top eight, you will get an invite to the next player's tour, plus 50% of another invite. 
if you get 39 plus match points, you get 50% of an invite. 36 plus match points, 40% of an invite. 33 plus match points, 25% of an invite. And 30 plus match points, 10% of an invite. And then at the players tour, so this is the actual thing that you're you're qualifying to with these percentages. If you top eight, you'll get again another invite plus seventy percent. Thirty-six plus match points, seventy percent. Thirty-three plus match points, seventy percent. Thirty plus match points, forty percent. And twenty-seven plus match points, thirty percent. Uh, so if you get up to one hundred in any two seasons, you're invited to the player store for that season and the next season. Um, so it's relatively generous in that regard. And they did say that they're starting out with these values and planning to make them more generous as they go on. That was, that was their exact wording. I think, um, not sure, man. I just, uh, I rely on other people to explain this stuff to me. <laughs> uh, I can't actually find the, the direct quote, but I, I know that I read somewhere that they said we're, we're intentionally starting out low on these things and planning to get more generous as time goes on which i think is a better move than starting out generous and pruning things back that's kind of a feel bad i think they've they've learned um yeah here it is so it's it's in things this system is not the final version of fractional invites we will make changes to fractional invites over the next year as we learn about how players interact with the system we're intentionally starting out conservative so that we can be more generous in the future uh there was a bit yeah and even, even as it is it doesn't it doesn't sound too conservative to me like it sounds Sounds like something people can go on. It'll definitely get people going back to GPs again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it it uh, it makes me more interested in GPs. Like as it was, I was considering never going to a GP again and only going to like traveling to England for for PTQs. Yeah, I mean it's kind of sad. Did you see that post on Twitter the other day where someone had uh, done the list of players that had had top aided GPs in consecutive years, like streaks, and uh, I think Shuhei was it was the top he's like got a, got a 19 year streak from like the year 2000 to now or something like that top eight of gp every year um and then like martin uses sam black a bunch of others were all in second place with like 11 years and but i think a bunch of them are about to fall off now because because they haven't top eight at a gp this year because they just haven't been going so they're gonna like lose those streaks which is kind of a pity yeah that's a bit of a shame all right it is funny when you listen to the pros like when they're streaming or on their podcasts or whatever and they're just like, yeah, there's no point in going to GPs anymore. So I'm just not gonna. I think a lot of them are like a lot of MBL members are getting older and having families and things like that. So I think they're kind of probably getting to points in their lives where they don't want to travel for GPs anyway. Um, so I think it kind of suits a lot of people. Uh, it is yeah, that's a, true. Young, that's true. a young person's game to uh, to be on the grind, if uh, as they say. But um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, just the ability to chain invites together is important. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with this. All right, sweet. Um, nothing really else to talk about. No, no big news. Well, there are there are some some leaks of uh, Theros Beyond Death, but we will not talk about those because if people don't want to hear spoilers, they shouldn't have to. Yep, agreed. Yeah, I looked at them. I'll admit it. I have no shame. Oh yeah, I looked at them because I don't personally care about it, but I know that people do, and I'm not gonna force the spoilers on anybody who doesn't want to obviously you could just turn off the podcast but i mean there's no point in talking about it now. we'll we'll talk about it when the sec is coming out so whatever waiting a little while is okay i'll give you guys a tease i can confirm that the basic lands are back <laughs> a basic land in every pack you say 
So yes. Very nice. All right. Well, I think that's gonna bring us to the end of the show. I'm. I did want to maybe have a look at some some of the five O lists because there's a few interesting ones in there. But uh, I think we've we're already kind of running long. We did spend a long time on the uh, on the top eight or virtual top eight of that uh, of the BTQ. So I think maybe we can leave some of the five O's until next week. There there should be changes. Well, I'm gonna assume that there's gonna be changes to the format by next week. So. Um, we'll have fresh things to talk about anyway. Yeah, I think R&D are uh, listening intently to, to every episode we release, so hopefully uh, the bands are as we envision them. Never know, never know. All right, well, that is going to do it for us this week. If you want to get in touch with us, you can send us an email at skullcrackpodcast at gmail.com. Crack is spelled C-R-A-I-C. Or you can tweet at us, at skullcrack, same spelling. Uh, you can tune into the stream here on you man the stream it's at twitch.tv forward slash skullcrack oh yeah it's all pioneer all the time baby tune in and you'll see me uh cast totsies a lot <laughs> you're just back on your bullshit all right well that is going to do it for us this week thanks for listening we'll be back next week bye-bye bye Here we are. It is October, the thirtieth of October. I was gonna say October, the thirtieth of October. It is a Wednesday, um, and I am doing my last piece of preparation for GP Lyon, GP Lyon in France. Uh, I'm flying out there tomorrow. Um, I'm joined here by a plate of cashew blue cheese and a full sail IPA by Galway Bay Brewery. Getting really into the into the French into the french mindset um that's be being being french so <laughs> the format of this gp is standard and if anyone, is, if anyone has been paying attention standard is an absolute dumpster fire right now uh it is just oko it's oko everywhere um i think to summarize it it's basically simic oko simic food is the best deck then the best deck which is simic food began splashing black just to play a just just to play noxious grasp uh to kill opposing uh green uh, creatures and walkers. so if you look at the uh lists from the previous uh, mcq the arena mcq there's just so many lists are just playing for noxious grasp in the main and it's absurd that's like that's usually the kind of meta i just don't want to partake in because when you when you engage in mirror matches like that it's like it's just going to be so hard to get a tiny edge and it's like oh you gotta you gotta what's gonna really I was gonna kind of realize, kind of got to wonder about what's going to determine the mirror breaker. If you know, if drawing not just not just grasp game one in your main board is not going to be the mirror breaker, then what is? Uh, so that's kind of that's kind of that's kind of thinking. I didn't really want to get into when I was kind of planning for this tournament. I was planning, I was, I was playing a lot of Sultai. I was kind of going down this road initially. Then once I start seeing four uh, main board not just grasps, I was like, no, I'm out of here. I want to I want to think of something else. So my line of thinking. Uh, I guess the very first thing I did, I just looked at the card, Doctor's Grasp, said this card, uh, those sounds in the background are me um, going through my decks on, on Arena. Um, the, yeah, so Doctor's Grasp, what does it do? Kills green, white, planeswalkers, and creatures. That's very good. 
what if I was to play a deck that played the three colours that were not green and white? Um, those three colours <laughs> are called Grixes. Um, so usually, we talked about it in the class before, whereas like Grixes, it kind of has a, it really has like a strong uh, resonance in the community as being like really cool deck. Everyone wants to play Grixes, but it's, I don't know for how long, it's, I, I don't know when the last time Grixis was a viable strategy in either Standard or Modern, maybe Death Shadow, but I mean, that's, it's, it, it's, it seems like, it seems very easy to come up with any reasons why not to play Grixis. So when I was considering playing Grixis for this tournament tomorrow, I needed to convince myself very strongly that I had, you know, more, more reasons then just because the goal bonus is cool. So I deck this for me, this is a, Look at my deck, that deck list right now, and it is a, a Grixis Fires list. So it plays, yeah, Fires of in, uh, Invention. It's quite similar to the deck that uh, Wolf um, shared with us in week zero of the format. Uh, this is a, yeah, it's basically just, yeah, it's like, it's like a Grixis playing soccer deck with a uh, Fire Invention. It's um, everything sorcery speed, uh, really just gain advantage. You know, you're, you're gaining your slow, um, slow advantages over the course of the game. Is once you stabilize a four mana with Fire's Invention, uh, we've got a Fave Wishes package, so you can, you know, once you have Fire's Invention out, you can Fave Wishes, uh, you can wish for free, get something through the sideboard. I've all sorts of nonsense to the sideboard, including uh, Casualties of War and Plain Wild Celebration, which are green cards, but um, we can cast them off Fire's Invention. So this is the deck I started off, started with. I did a little bit of testing, and like straight away, I was going up against Sultai decks that had. Like, I, you know, turn two Todd Rage or someone, and I'd see a Noxious Grasp in her hand, and you're just thinking, yep, that, that's game. So, I had a lot of success with this deck, and I was, it's one of those things where I started wondering, like, why isn't anybody else talking about this? Because, like, looking at, looking at you know, forums like Spikes or Discord, and uh, I say the, 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 the Arena Decklist Discord, it's like, no one's really talking about this. Uh, all the pros are just talking about, you know, the next tech to make your Sultai deck beat the other Sultai deck in the mirror match, uh, whereas no one's really looking at Crixus Fires, and... I don't know why, but I took this list, I did a lot of tweaking and changing to it, and the main change I made was I added Discovery Dispersal uh, to the main. I have three Discovery Dispersal um, in my two-drop slot, alongside Autot Erasure. Uh, that's for a few reasons, I guess. A lot of times I kind of struggled to stabilize uh, the mana. Obviously, just being Grixis, the, the mana sometimes fights against you. Uh, I found that just adding these Discovery Dispersals just smoothed everything out so much better. Uh, and then it's really a card you're happy to see in the late game, uh, if you're top decking or if you're just playing through your fires. Um, so Discovery Dispersal is my tech. Uh, so that was, I had a lot of success with this on Wednesday, on Tuesday, uh, that was yesterday, uh, today. Uh, I, my win rate went down a little bit because I noticed that a lot of Sultai decks have just started running, well, I don't know if they started running or just running more uh, Veil of Summer in the main. So Veil of Summer has been very frustrating. It's very frustrating if you, you know, <laughs> on, on turn two of game one, you Todd Erasure and uh, they Veil of Summer it. You're just thinking, God, I did not stand a chance here. Um, so that was something I was kind of worried a little bit, a little bit, about, a little bit about that. Then as I started playing more games, I realized that it's really not that much of an issue. That if you, if I started to realize that if I suspect someone is holding up Valus somewhere, I can just ignore it and play on. Because as long as they're slowing down their strategy, uh, as long as they're slowing down their game plan, they're not beating me down, I'm going to survive to the mid-game and my late game is so much stronger than theirs. So it happens quite, it happens quite often that um, they, you know, they just present uh, a forest turn one. Say if it's turn two for me, uh, instead of casting Todd Razor, if I have this, if I have discovery, like I said, even better. Or even if not, I just play my lands. Uh, if they don't play the round creatures, if they if they prefer holding up Valus Summer than playing the round creatures, that's better for me. Uh, eventually, I'll just start playing planeswalkers that don't care about Valus Summer. You know, you got stuff like, uh, you know, I like this plus Michael Bolas, you know, plus uh, Liliana. Liliana's minus is uh, each player. Uh, Chandra, <laughs> I've I've had a, I've I've had opponents. 
uh, not play the Elysimer, but seemingly hold up Elysimer while I cast Chandra and target one of the creatures and they'd pause for a second because they realize Elysimer doesn't hit Chandra. Um, but I guess kind of overall that's where I am right now. This deck feels very, very powerful once it gets off. I mean, if you if you have five lands and Castle Pantress, uh, you can just scry twice every turn. Uh, they scry at their end step, scry in your upkeep um, before they draw it. When you're just not using mana and able to pump your mana into Castle Vantress, there's no way anybody can catch you uh, in terms of advantage. So I'm uh, I'm quite happy with this list. I don't think I'll make any changes. I'll play a few games now. Maybe I might change something, but uh, I am I am locked in two Grixes. I'll also play in the uh, in the third the, uh, the Friday uh, MCQ, uh, and if something drastic happens there, I'll change. I I'll, I'll bring everything with me just in case. But um. I am feeling confident. Uh, I haven't, last time I felt this confident day the GP, I didn't bring my passport, so I'll make sure I have that. And um, I will talk to you after when I am Alan Harrison, GP champion of Lyon. <laughs>